Three, two, one. Oh my goodness, everybody. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon. Welcome back to the film room here on 88.9 The Bridge. I am your host, Andrew Pearson. What we do here is we break down all your favorite NFL players and teams by watching the film and actually answering the toughest questions and actually analyzing exactly what happens on the field on Sundays. Man, it's good to be back. It, it is good to be back. Um, we just had an exciting weekend of XFL football, uh, like I was talking about last week. Uh, very exciting. And I'd like to go over uh, and some NFL draft stuff today as well. Uh, we're going to be going over one specific player that I'm really excited about. And uh, we're probably going to hop right into it here in a sec. Uh, I just wanted to note that uh, the the show for the past couple of weeks, or really since December, has not been able to get back to the original goal of the show, which was to break down a player uh, by watching film every week. I apologize for that. Uh, I've just had a lot going on. Uh, last week I probably could have done another analysis, but I didn't get it to y'all, so my apologies. Uh, I know the show was probably a little worse off because of it. But let's get back to ana analyzing today. I want to talk about Van Jefferson, wide receiver, formerly of the Florida Gators, uh, now entering the NFL draft. This will be a um, draft prospect or draft analysis. He is a redshirt senior this year. He is 24 years old. Uh, he's 6'2", 197. Uh and he is great. <laughs> I really like Van Jefferson. Uh, first of all, he's huge. That 6'2 frame is great for boxing out shorter corners and just leaping over uh, to, make, to make better contested catches. The frame, uh, he, again, he's also about 200 pounds as well. So he... He's going to be able to be be physical with the corner he's going up against and be able to separate using his physicality at the point of the release. Now, uh, I should probably preface this all by, by talking about what I personally look for in wide receivers. So, let's take this for example. Let's go with short routes. That this is basically your your ability to change direction in a short area quickness. Uh, typically, slot receivers really excel at short routes. Uh, these these are extremely important to get separation at the point of attack at at the release point, so that you can get a clean release and just simply get open for your for your quarterback. If you're if you're great at short routes, like. For example, a Larry Fitzgerald, then you're you can make an entire career out of just being in the slot and being able to abuse those short routes that you that a wide receiver is so good at to just get open. Now the long routes, these are your um, go routes. These are your deep in routes. These are your out routes. These are your curl routes. Mostly, uh, the, these are essential for receivers that can 
want to be able to go deep. If you're if you're a good deep ball receiver, then you gotta you have to be able to be good at long routes to get open downfield. Not really much to say there. Release is also very important. How physical are you at the line of scrimmage with the corner? Uh, do you do you just avoid the corner entirely and and run past them with good footwork? Do you try and trick them at the line of scrimmage? How crafty are you at just getting open at the point of, at the point of attack? Are you physical, or do you go with a more finesse style and uh, use your footwork to avoid um, to avoid the punch that the corner is trying to land into your chest? Do you neutralize it, get around it, and get open? And how good are you at it? Now comes the most important thing of a wide receiver, and that's your hands. Uh, you have to have minimum decent hands to play in the NFL. Uh, if if you don't, if you don't, then you're pretty much a useless prospect, straight up. You can have all the athleticism in the world, and if you only have, you know, bad to below average hands, then you're gonna be a Tavon Austin. And you're only ever going to get the ball on reverses and sweeps to get you out in space. And that's all teams will ever use you for. They will never use you as an actual wide receiver to go deep downfield or tear up uh, tear up slot corners and linebackers in the slot. No, you won't be used for that. You'll just be a gimmick player, essentially, if you don't have good hands. And that's also assuming you're a good athlete. If you don't have either of those, then you're really screwed. Now, another important important trait is catching traffic. So, how good are you? Are are how good are you at, at really attacking the football at the point of the catch? Do you jump in front of it and do your best to grab it, or do you just let it come to you and sort of just pray and expect the defender to not hit you? While you're doing that, do you hold on to the ball when you have a, an extra guy or two in in your general area at the point of the catch? Do you bring do you bring the do you bring those contested catches down often, etc. And finally, is the run after catch ability? How good are you once the ball is in your hand to keep getting yards after the catch? Uh, I think a great example of a great receiver after the catch would be Keenan Allen of the of the San Diego Char oh not San Diego <laughs> uh, Los Angeles Chargers, who uh, is great after the catch. Once he catches the ball, he's going to get an extra five to ten yards guaranteed. He just finds a way to pe- make people miss and keep getting yardage after the catch. I think another great example would be Debo Samuel. In San Francisco, he also is, first of all, a great athlete. That guy's a great athlete. But he is able to just pick up so many yards by just finding soft spots and zone coverage to run through. And it it really is, it's like magic to watch. It's beautiful. Now let's get back to Van Jefferson. How good is he at all of this? And I gotta say... He may be one of the one of the best route runners 
in this entire class. Now, I'm going to preface this by saying that the 2020 receiver class may very well be the greatest wide receiver class we have ever seen. If, Van, if, if the receiver class was any weaker, and I'm talking about five, five or six prospects weaker, or maybe even two or three prospects weaker, Van Jefferson would probably be a first, an early first-round receiver. That's how good and that's how generational this wide receiver class is. And honestly, I really see it with Van Jefferson. He is about, uh, I believe it was 6'3 or 6'4, something like that. And point is, he's, he's 6'2 plus. Uh, I, I know I've already talked about his height, so I won't go over that again. But uh, let's go into all of the categories that I just listed and um, all of the traits that I think he has. Let's go into his short routes. His short routes are great. He, he will get open on slants. He will get open on short little corner routes. He gets open on a... Uh, on an in route, he gets open on drags, he gets open on everything. And it's all thanks to his great release. I swear, I watched him at the Senior Bowl, and I was watching his practices at the Senior Bowl. Uh, now the Senior Bowl, for those who don't know, is pretty much uh, an all-star game for seniors going into the NFL draft out of college football. And he pretty much hit the corners with a different release every single snap. It was incredible. Normally, uh, receivers, especially ones coming out of college, only really have one or two release releases. They only have one or two moves. They don't, and they don't really uh, deviate from it too much. Norm, normally, it's either the the sidestep to the to the boundary. Or maybe it's um, a, a f one step to one side and f to fake them out or to fake the corner out and then they run the other way. Either way, uh, they usually stick to a very confined uh, release skill set. Not Van Jefferson. Van Jefferson has, I don't know, maybe six different release, release techniques and they all worked throughout the entire, entire time he was in Mobile, Alabama for the Senior Bowl. It was incredible to watch. Um, and he always did it. He did this really nice one where he he kind of jumped to the side towards the boundary to get the corner to jump. And then he, he started running forward, right? And then he stu stutter-stepped in the middle of his route just to get the corner to bite. And then he used that double move to get past the corner and to get open for the touchdown. It was great. It was, um, it sh definitely showed he is on a completely different, different familiarity level of football than a lot of his, uh, peer, than a lot of his peers in this wide receiver class. I was, I was thoroughly impressed. And, Transitioning from that release, uh, from my topic of release, and I've already talked about short routes. Now let's talk about the long routes. Uh, he ran those well as well. He ran those well uh, as 
not a little bit worse than the short routes, however. Uh, not as impressive. He wasn't the mo the best in long routes, but for the most part, he was pretty good. Uh, it again. These are all relative terms, uh, and I'm talking relative to the rest of the wide receiver class this year. Because if he was coming out any other year, th this would be top-of-the-line stuff for the entire year. I'm being completely serious. And I think the majority of what makes his route, run route running so good is just the fluidity in his hips and his great footwork in and out of cuts. It's so beautiful because it's it's as if when he takes one step, right, he just transitions to the next step. He can turn himself around, completely around 180, in one step. And he doesn't, it, it almost looks effortless. He doesn't miss a beat at all. It is truly impressive. And I'm really happy to see that because it shows that a young guy who, well, he's not young in terms of NFL draft standards because he will be coming into the league at 24 years old, which is an older rookie. Rookies normally come in around 21, 22 years old. But if Van Jefferson, he just showed such fluidity in in the in the cuts in and out of routes. It was it was great. Now let's talk about his hands, and unfortunately, these aren't as good uh, as as the rest of the package. And while I do, and while don't get me wrong, uh, I still think his hands are good. They're just good, not great. You know what I'm saying? Uh, he he'll drop a few balls, uh, not too many, but maybe not as reliable in catching traffic situations as you would have liked, especially because of especially coming from someone of his size and and build you would think that they would be better at those uh, catching traffic situations but unfortunately Van Jefferson is not as good or as prolific at it than some of his peers in this class however uh, his hands his, his hands again are good he's just gonna gonna drop the a ball every couple of every couple of targets and it's gonna suck I think it's gonna show up in the pros for a little bit but for the most part they're good uh, I already talked about catching traffic and how it's just fine now the run after the catch ability I think is where Van Jefferson can really shine this may very well be his best trait other than his release this could be his best trait because my gosh, when you watch him on film, and when you watch him uh, in actual game, in actual uh, game footage, man, he was just beautiful. Every single catch, he would get about five to ten yards every single time. He would find he would find little ways to juke defenders out for a first down, or maybe. Um, Maybe fake someone out to get an extra five, five or six yards, more or less. He would always try and uh, stay in bounds for as long as he could to get extra, extra yards. It, it was great. Uh, he, he is a threat after the catch. 
maybe not elite at it. Uh, for for example, uh, let's take a Jerry Judy out of Alabama, for example, coming out this year, who was projected to be the number one wide receiver, who pretty much took it took it to the got a touchdown on every single run after the catch that he opportunity that he got at Alabama this year. And that was something really special to watch as well, which is a, a huge reason why that uh, why this year's uh, wide receiver class is so good. Uh, Van Jefferson is not on that level. He's not getting touchdowns on every, every single time he touches the ball or anything. But he is getting extra yardage every time. And that adds huge value to any team that is looking to draft him. He is impressive, and I really hope people start noticing Van Jefferson. He also interviewed very well. Uh, I I watched a couple of his interviews, uh, not too many, Uh, so maybe I'm not as familiar as some other people, but I'm I'm under the impression that he he did interview well. was nice to reporters and all, answered all the questions that he needed to. And he seems like a genu- genuinely nice guy, uh, which, which is good, which is good. Uh, I'd rather have uh, an upstanding and morally, uh, how, how do I say this, someone who's morally on the right track than someone who has all the talent in the world but is going to tear apart my locker room. I think Van Jefferson is going to be a great receiver in the NFL. I guarantee you, he will be a starter somewhere. If he come comes into the league as a number two wide receiver, watch out. Because he's going to be getting open on the sidelines every single time. His, his, his release, which was pretty much getting open at all times at the Senior Bowl against college-level corners, I really do think they will work against NFL corners. All of them. All of them will. It is absolutely impressive. He is dedicated to his craft. He is a wonderful player. And I really hope people look out for him as the as the months and weeks go on. Uh, what as we get closer to draft season. And that's pretty much all I have to say about Van Jefferson. If you want uh if you want my projected uh what's it called? Uh draft draft position, then I think he's going to be about a second rounder. Uh I don't he will not fall out of the second round. I will tell you that right now. And if his performance in the senior bowl this year didn't elevate him enough, I think he has potential to go late first round. Mostly due to the Senior Bowl. And I honestly could not be happier. This wide receiver class is super deep. Uh, I don't I don't think it's I don't think a lot of teams will be drafting wide receiver in the top twenty ish. Mostly due to the fact that you have people in this you have kids in this draft class like Van Jefferson, who are high, high, super high upside prospects coming out of college who are probably going to be able to start in the NFL uh, 
on day one. And uh, you have about, I think there are about three or four wide receivers who are projected to go in the second round that will be impacts on day one. And because of that, I think Van Jefferson won't go top top 20 or uh, even in the top in the first round. But he, he will not fall out of the second round. So watch out for the watch out for Van Jefferson, folks. Keep that name in mind. And once he's tearing up the league in his rookie year, you'll know who told you about him. All right, folks, that was a long, long segment. Uh, hopefully, it came out all right. I don't know. I'm feeling kind of tired today. Uh, did not have a good night's sleep. But uh, when we come back. I will be recapping the very, very, very first week of XFL football, how excited I am and how surprised I am on how high the quality of play was. My gosh, uh, it was actually good. (laughs) And um, I hope that you guys will join me for that segment in just a few minutes. Thank you all so much for listening. I will be... Alright folks, we are back. Welcome back to the film room here on 88.9 The Bridge. I am your host, Andrew Pearson. I just got done uh, talking about wide receiver Van Jefferson out of Florida and why he's going to be tearing up the league once he gets into it after this year's uh, NFL draft. He is a really exciting player and I hope everybody keeps that name in mind. Uh, But now... Uh, we're going to get into more exciting news. Let's get back into the XFL. My goodness, I am so excited. Uh, the first week of the brand new, brand spanking new XFL just concluded on Sunday. And uh, I got to be honest with you. I'm really surprised with the high quality play that was played uh, that was played on the field this weekend. I am very excited and I think it shows great prospects for the team for the for the league moving forward. Uh, let let's where where do I want to start with this? Because uh, there there were two very good games on Saturday and then two kind of disappointing games on well not I wouldn't say disappointing but just not as good games on Sunday. So I think I'm going to go in order of when they were played and some of the standouts from each game. Uh, Let's go with the DC Defenders versus your Seattle Dragons. Uh, I believe believe it was... um, Oh, what's it called? DC won 31-19, and sorry, folks, I'm just pulling up the scores from from last week. Why is it so hard to... Okay, here we go. Yeah, so the defenders won uh, 31-19 on the back of Cardale Jones, their quarterback, who looked great. Fun fact, uh, he is actually... Uh, undefeated as a starter, dating back to his time at Ohio State. Uh, he ha- has literally not lost a professional football game since uh, since high school. Uh, 
unless he lost unless he lost a preseason game uh, in the NFL, then then that doesn't count. But for the most part, uh, yeah, he is undefeated, and I'm excited because this offense was rolling through throughout the entire second half, and even in the first half, uh, the D. The, d- the defenders were able to properly use play action to get Cardell Jones outside of the pocket. And while he's not a running quarterback, he does well with the extra time given uh, on a play action play and is able to just dissect defenses really quick. He, had a gr- he showed he has a great arm. Uh, he put a lot of zip on the ball. He really drove it really quickly into tight spaces, and that's what you like to see in a quarterback. Uh, he showed he showed some mobility as well, uh, which is exciting. Uh, I, I like that a lot. And uh, he's he's definitely the biggest the biggest story I have to talk about uh, on his way, hopefully for him back into the NFL. <clears throat> uh, another story I want to talk about though is. For the Seattle Dragons, quarterback Brandon Silvers was actually not bad in this game. Uh, he is a quarterback, an undrafted free agent in 2017 out of Troy, or the University of Troy. Uh, he, unfortunately, never really work, worked or stuck in the NFL, but uh, he did work in the AAF for the, for the two starts he got there, and he ended up playing not bad at all. In his second shot here with the Seattle Dragons, he um, was a little Jekyll and Hyde, I would say, uh, quarterback Brandon Silvers for the Seattle Dragons. He Sometimes he would dial up this beautiful deep ball down the sidelines that would be just barely caught, but in a good way, on a back shoulder throw on the sideline. And it would look so beautiful. And then he would throw... This great throw in the middle of the field into traffic, but even though it was into traffic, it was the correct decision, and he was just able to drive it in there and get a great completion. And then you get the dumbest interception of his life, and um, it all it all just falls apart at the seams. I believe he ended the day with two interceptions. One of it, one of which was not his fault. One of them was just. His receiver literally let a let a pass bounce off his hands, and it got picked up by the defender's defense, which is really unfortunate. But the first one was his fault. Uh, he just stared down a route throughout its entire duration, and then continued to throw the ball into a spot where a linebacker was waiting for it, and um, the linebacker just picked it off real easy. It was. It was really sad to watch. Um, but other than that, honestly, Brandon Silvers played played pretty well, especially for someone who hasn't played professional football in almost a year. So I'm impressed with Silvers. Uh, the Seattle Dragons already have one of the better quarterbacks in the league, uh, even though he had a bit of a rough day. The defenders, I think, uh, may very well have the best team in the league. Their defense really showed up. I don't remember any specific guys, unfortunately. I'm sorry. Uh, I, <laughs> I, I should have written them down, but 
they had this corner who had almost had an interception, but had uh, I think a punt block and a and a sack or a couple tackles for loss, maybe an interception. He pretty much had everything throughout the entire game. He was on fire, and just watching him go to work was a pleasure. It was vastly entertaining, and um, yeah, it was great. Defenders, uh, I think, are already the best team in the league. Uh, I think they have the best quarterback, and they they may very well just straight up have the best defense as well. Uh, Let's go into the second Saturday game. Uh, the LA Wildcats fell to the Houston Roughnecks 37 and 17. And while that score looks really ugly, I'll assure you, the Wildcats were giving the Roughnecks a good fight. I, assu- I assure you. Uh, Roughnecks quarterback PJ Walker is definitely the story of the week. This guy blew up this week for. Four touchdowns, 300-something yards, almost very few incompletions. He had one boneheaded interception in the fourth quarter, however. But for the most part, P.J. Walker is going to be a budding star in the XFL. Uh, I, I believe I mentioned him last week as someone who might potentially get um, or someone who someone to look out for in case he won the job he did end up winning the job in Houston over uh, former Michigan State quarterback Connor Cook uh, he uh, and I'm talking about PJ Walker uh, he is a bit of a shorter quarterback I think he's only 510 5'11 but he makes up for it with a good arm great accuracy downfield really good footwork I noticed uh all of his motions uh, after the snap and before the throw on, in his drop back were all extremely fluid. They were all calculated. It looked practiced. It looked refined. He played very well. Uh, he just looked prepared. And not on top of that, he's a great runner after the catch. Or, well... <sighs> I'm sorry. I'm, I'm tired. I did not mean to say that. Uh, I meant to say he's really great at uh, scrambling when the pocket breaks down. Now, normally, what I noticed and what I really appreciated was that when the play broke down, he didn't just run for his life um, down, down the field, which he did do a, a couple of times when the lane was wide open, but for the most part, he tried to hang in the pocket for as long as he could and uh, just kind of stayed in one area to try and make sure that he was able to uh, hang the pocket long enough to make a pass downfield, and he did this, he did this one beautiful, beautiful uh, throw on the run. He was running to his left, and his wide receiver was uh, stemming upfield for the go-route. Um, and he just turned himself around, and he launched the ball downfield off-platform. Um, and he ended up making the touchdown, and it looked great. P. 
P.J. Walker is going to be one of the budding stars of, of the XFL, and he may very well be the face of it very, very soon. Now let's talk about the L.A. Wildcats. Uh, they were kind of an odd team. Uh, I think their defense has potential, by the way. Especially uh, with the first person I'm going to mention here, the big old Sean Oakman. If you remember that name from about 2014 and 15, he was uh, this huge 6'9", six, 6'9", nine, six nine, uh, edge rusher out of Baylor. And there was a point in, I believe, 2015 where he was projected to be the first overall pick in the NFL draft. He then returned for his senior season. Uh, then a lot of personal personal issues came up with Sean Oakman. He was accused of rape by uh, by uh, a lady in Texas. Uh, I believe he went to college with her. He spent years. He's pretty much spent since 2016 or 15, I believe, in court battling for his name. And pretty much once his life was finally ruined, the lady came out and said that she made it all up. And it was just a disgusting situation. But Sean Oakland was completely innocent in all of it. It was all a lie. And he came out of that court crying, but determined to get back to football. And now that he's back in football, he bounced around a couple spring leagues last year, but this year he's in the XFL, and he tore it up. He did great. He did great opening weekend. Uh, he he had this one beautiful sack at the end of the game, where he just overpowered uh, the left tackle of the Houston Roughnecks. He just took a. He, he just did a nice little. Uh, speed to power move where he it looked he made it look like he was trying to run around the tackle uh like it was a speed like it was a speed rush and then he he turned it up into into the tackle shoulder and just took all that speed that he got from running on the outside of the uh, on the outside of the tackle and put all of that motion and all of that force into the shoulder of the tackle while neutralizing his hands from landing a punch in, into his shoulder to neutralize him, Sean Oakman just overpowered that left tackle, pretty much put him on the ground with with one arm, right? And then he just got P.J. Walker on this great sack. Uh, it, he, he flashed. He, he showed flashes of greatness in, in this game. Uh, I think he still has the goods when it comes to football. Uh, I think he, he can still play. And I think he's only 27 or 28. So he still has time uh, before he's out of his prime. And uh, he, may ve- he may very well be one of the premier edge rushers in the XFL. I'm very excited to see more of Sean Oakman. He, they were lining him, lining him up as an, an interior defensive lineman a lot in this game as well. Uh, one thing I noticed is, the, is that the Wildcats ran a 3-4 defense. And what that means is uh, they pretty much have three interior defensive linemen on the line of scrimmage at all times with a linebacker uh, at, at one of the edge rush positions while, the other interior, while another interior lineman serves as the edge rusher on the other side. 
or sometimes they they have two linebackers at edge rusher and they have all three interior linemen in the middle. Uh, that's what they usually do. But when Sean o- pretty much when Sean Oakman got his one on ones, he was either destroying them. Well, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that. He he was beating them very often. I'll say that he was he was consi- he was very 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 consistent, and I'm excited to say that. I'm really happy for the guy that he is able to be back in this league and back doing what he loves to do. Uh, and I wish the very best for Sean Oakman. But now let's talk about the Wildcats in general. Uh, their defense just could not hold up. Uh, the, well, the rest of their defense, rather, could not hold up against the Roughnecks' absolutely electric offense. Um, and... I think a lot of the disappointment for the Wildcats came on the offensive side of the ball, actually, which is which I know is a weird segue. I just got done talking about defense, but uh, their offense was just anemic, mostly due to quarterback Chad Kanoff or Kanoff. Uh, he showed he showed that he could be a decent quarterback in this game. There were some throws that he made that were actually pretty good that he made under pressure. And in tight windows, there were a handful of those. Just simply not enough uh, to that made me say, wow, this guy could be the starting quarterback uh, of an XFL team for years to come. He didn't make me go that, he didn't make me feel like that. Uh, he, it was a, a bit disappointing, to be honest with you. Uh, and they brought his backup in. They, ben- they pretty much benched Genoff for... Two drives in the fourth quarter, and his backup was even worse. Uh, I, I I'm actually blanking on the backup's name at the moment, but uh, it was not pretty. It was not pretty at all. Really unfortunate for the Wildcats. Um, let's see here. I'm trying to think of one more really notable play. Ah, yeah. So, what was his name? Hold on. I'm going to look at the Roughnecks, uh, Roughnecks LA game for just one, one second. Uh, if it would please just... Okay. So, Josh Johnson, uh, quarterback of the Los Angeles or LA Wildcats, he was slated to start the season, but unfortunately uh, injured his thigh, and that was the reason why he was out. So pretty much, uh, the Wildcats were working off backup quarterbacks all day. And uh, it showed. It definitely showed. Also, for the Roughnecks, they had two really great defensive defensive standouts. Dietrich Nichols, a cornerback, was flying all across the field. He got a great interception. He got two passes defensed. He was the cornerback I was talking about earlier. Uh, And he got a sack. Just great, great game from Dietrich Nichols. Uh, I can't wait to see more of him in the future. And defensive end, Coney Ealy. If that name sounds familiar to you, it's because it should. He's a former NFL player. He went quite early in the NFL draft. I don't think it, I don't 
I don't remember if he was a first round pick or not, but he was uh, he was a relatively early round pick, and uh, he is in this league as well, trying to make it back to the NFL. And he got a half sack, and uh, got five quarterback hits. He he was quite disruptive, especially in the run game. So keep an eye out for edge rusher Coney Ely for the Houston Roughnecks. All right, that's all I have for you guys for this segment. When I get back uh, in the in the following segment, we're going to talk about um, we're going to talk about the other two games that happened this week. And honestly, I think this works out great because I know during the NFL season, uh, I always tr- I was always tripping over what what game I wanted to do that week and what games I wanted to talk about. Now I only have four ga- four games to talk about uh, entirely, so I'm excited. Uh, let I will be talking about the Tampa Bay uh, New York game and the St. Louis-Dallas game next. Thank you so much for listening. I will be right back. All right, folks, we are back. Welcome back to the Film Room here. I am your host, Andrew Pearson, um, here back for another segment. We're going to be continuing uh, our talk over the XFL Last weekend, I'm very excited to talk to you guys about it. Uh, I already covered the first two games that were on Saturday. Uh, the DC Defenders as well. Uh, the DC Defenders against the Seattle Dragons. As well as... Uh, hold on, I'm blanking here. Give me a sec. Um, the Wi-Fi would just like to work for a second. Uh, what, was the se- what was the second game on Saturday? Um... It was it was Houston Houston LA yeah that's what we were talking about that's what we were talking about uh, so I finished talking about those teams uh, I probably could have gone a little more in depth but there's some more uh, I want to get into with the XFL let's go uh, into the third game of the weekend Tampa Bay versus the or Tampa Bay at the New York Guardians Guardians won 23 to three in an absolute show of dominance. It was great. Uh, I think the I think the head, one of the headlines of this game is going to have to be Matt McGloin, quarterback for the New York Guardians. He played very very well. Now, if you actually watch the game, uh, you'll notice that he had a he, his arm his arm talent is still not very good. That's something that we've always known about Matt McGloin. It's part of the reason why he never made it too big in the NFL was because of his feminal, uh, physical limitations throwing the football. It's it's an unfortunate truth, but it's one of the reasons why Matt McGloin isn't in the NFL. He is here in the XFL. However, he had great antip- anticipation on throws throughout the entire game. He was very accurate, and even though his... his the way he throws the football comes out a tiny bit wobbly, and it comes out uh, not very, um, not very fastly thrown. Not a lot of velocity on the ball is what I'm trying to say. He still got the ball into spots that he he still got the ball into the spots that he needed to get the ball into, 
and he was very effective at it. He um, he led a great first drive that ended with him uh, sneaking it into the end zone on a QB sneak on the goal line. It was very well, it was a very well executed drive, uh, as well as simply just throwing throwing the ball wonderfully throughout the whole day. Uh, I I don't I have I I don't have enough positive things to say about how Matt McGloin played his first XFL game. Now we still have the whole season to go, uh, so no promises that he will continue to play at this level. However, uh, Matt McGloin it might just lead New York to a championship. Though that's that's those are very early projections. Also, the the New York Guardians defense was absolutely amazing. Uh, Jamar Summers, a cornerback for the New York Guardians, played lights out. He um, he he got he got a fumble recovery for a touchdown in this game that was the final nail in the coffin for the Tampa Bay. It, it was a very opportunistic play and but just generally entertaining, and he played very well the whole day. Uh, I also wanted to talk about, very briefly, Mikhail McKay, wide receiver for the New York Guardians. He had this really awesome 45-yard touch or 45-yard catch that just really showed off how, how great he is as a deep threat as well as being able to uh, be physical with with corners and just kind of, you know, jump jump over guys and um, be able to bring down good catches. Mikhail McKay is a very good, um, what's it called? Oh, geez. I'm sorry, guys. I'm I'm blanking a little bit, but uh, he's he's a very good receiver in this league. I'm very happy to see him. Uh, he was also, I believe, on the Dallas Cowboys practice squad back in 2017 or, or 16. So uh, there, there's a little personal connection from me. Now let's go into the what is probably the worst team in the league, uh, the Tampa Bay Tampa Bay Vipers. It was absolutely atrocious on both sides of the ball. Uh, the only, I think the only real positive is that the defense wasn't complete garbage. Uh, they had some they had some burst plays where they had some really nice uh, tackles for loss. Uh, they had I think they had a, a pair of sacks, but uh, I'm not completely sure. Uh, they had they I think they had a turnover as well. Uh, I did not watch the the Sunday games very closely, uh, but. Um, Tampa Bay, New York is probably the game I watched the least of. So, excuse me if I'm uh, not completely accurate with what I say here. But, uh, if we're going to talk about the only positive for the Tampa Bay Vipers is tailback Devion Smith. He had uh, 16, 16 carries for 79 yards. And his um, his style of running, which is you know in between the tackles, power running, uh, knocking guys on their butts, and really powering through the hole, uh, it, it was very effective. It was very effective, and 
I just wish Tampa Bay was able to utilize him more because <laughs> their quarterback Aaron Murray was sure was sure not doing anything this game. Let's talk about the quarterback situation uh, because there are two quarterbacks we actually need to talk about. One of which is the ever disappointing De- Aaron Murray. Uh, I know I talked about him last week and being all excited that he was on Tampa Bay and how I thought, oh, Tampa Bay doesn't have a terrible quarterback. No, they do. Uh, they really do. Aaron Murray was just disappointing for the majority of the day. Uh, unfortunately, he he still shows a very slow processor. He does not progress through his reads very well. He can't go from one target to another to another to another when a target is covered by the defense. He is very, very bad at that. He's bad um, at, at changing who he is going to throw to. He's the type of quarterback where if if he likes a certain route route concept on on a certain coverage he thinks he's, he th- on a certain coverage he thinks he is going to get, he is going to throw there no matter what and it leads to interceptions, especially in this game. In this game he just stared a receiver down um throughout his entire route and still threw the ball and I think there were two guys on him on the receiver maybe three intercepted instantly killed the drive it was disappointing Aaron Murray Aaron Murray is just not a great quarterback and I, and I I understand you can't really expect a quarterback to be very good uh, especially when you're talking about talent that isn't making it into the NFL so I understand why uh I understand that Aaron Murray is not going to be your traditional uh, starting caliber quarterback of the NFL. I understand. But to be honest with you, I don't think he would even do it well in college football. Uh, and I think he was, when he was at the University of Georgia, he was hidden by a team that had an immense amount of talent relative to the competition around him. Uh, Georgia's one of the best college football college football programs and especially in in the NCAA where talent level is extremely important if your team is significantly more talented than the other team mostly due to recruiting and big name schools getting more recruits than smaller schools then you're probably going to win the game regardless of who you have under center, and I think Aaron Murray's a victim of that situation. He's, it's looking like he was simply overhyped coming out of college, and uh, he wasn't really even that hyped to begin with. Uh, he was a very late-round pick uh, in the NFL, didn't work out, and I don't think Aaron Murray is going to last very long in the XFL either. I'm going to be quite honest. Uh, I don't think I, I really don't think he's got a shot. He, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sit here and say he's completely terrible. Uh, some of his throws were relatively accurate, and he did an okay job at hanging in the pocket. But I think the real story that we need to talk about, and what will be Aaron Murray's quarterback competition, will be Quinton Flowers 
Uh, I believe I talked to him out of, about him a little bit yet uh, last week. But in case for those who have never heard of Quentin Flowers, he's a guy out of university out of the University of Central Florida, and he's kind of this weird um, Taysom Hill kind of player. And what I mean by that is um, a player that is extremely athletic, that can run the ball, catch the ball, and in Quentin Flowers' case, can throw the ball as well. Uh, I, I I think. You could say, it, it, which is the reason why I make the Taysom Hill comparison because they're both tr- supposedly listed as quarterbacks. Um, Quentin Flowers came in on a couple of series in this game, mostly just to run the read option. So we have no idea if uh, the head coach of the Tampa Bay Tampa Bay Vipers is just hiding the fact that he can't throw, but. What really concerned me is that the offense was working significantly better once Flowers was introduced. When Flowers was in the offense, the offense went up the field and almost scored a touchdown. They ended up getting a field goal on that on the particular drive that um, that Tampa Bay put him in the game. But when when Quentin Flowers is on the field, the offense is moving. So I think. If Tampa Bay wants to win, they really badly need Quinton Flowers as as their quarterback. They need him badly. Because if if they don't, and if they keep rolling out with Aaron Murray, Aaron Murray is not going to win Tampa Bay any games. I believe he threw two interceptions this game, did Aaron Murray. Uh, I already talked about one. One was really ugly. Uh, I don't... I don't remember the second one. I don't remember if it was tipped or he was just forcing it into coverage. Uh, but either way, uh, the way Aaron Murray played was not up to par, even to XFL standards, because the XFL has already, uh, I believe, elevated itself, e- elevated its standards for quality of play, for talent of play, above even college football I think it's it's more talent filled than the Canadian Football League and it is a way better product than the Alliance of American Football last winter it's just it's just disappointing uh, I expected a lot more out of Aaron Murray but I'm excited to see I hope Quinton flowers can uh, can can galvanize this offense and actually being worthwhile because it seemed like the running attack for Tampa Bay could actually be very good. And I really hope that it improves to a level that we can all step back and say, hey, the XFL's got some pretty decent quarterbacks as well. Uh, I'm excited to see Quentin Flowers uh, run the read option more in, in the future. Uh, in this game, they actually gave Quentin Flowers a couple of carries, uh, straight-up carries, by the way. One of them was on a jet sweep, and he went for, I think, what, 20, 15, 20 yards? It was very good. Uh, Quentin Flowers was, was really fast. So, hopefully, uh, somebody somebody in Tampa Bay will give Quentin Flowers a chance. But until then, the city of Tampa Bay is destined to have awful quarterbacks, I guess. Uh, let's... 
Uh, and I think we already uh, summed up the Guardians pretty well. One thing, uh, one player I want to quickly go over for the Guardians is wide receiver Colby Pearson. No relation. Um, he was a very good wide receiver. He was very good in this game. He played a mix of slot receiver and outside receiver. Showed some good ability uh, off the release point to actually get open off the off the line of scrimmage and be able to get downfield and get open for his quarterback. Uh, it seemed like Matt McGloin was growing a a bigger connection with Colby Pearson throughout the game, and he made a couple of really big plays. He made some really nice uh, downfield catches. And a couple of them were, were contested, and I was very impressed uh, with Colby Pearson. Hopefully, we see more of him in the future. Who oh boy, that was 15 minutes just for one game. Uh, let's um, let me let's go to the final game here: Battlehawks Renegades. Uh, the St. Louis Battlehawks won this one, 15 to the Dallas Renegades. Nine measly points. What a disappointment for from Dallas. I expected a whole lot more from them. Uh, it should be duly noted that uh, the the starting quarterback for the Dallas Renegades and the presumed face of the league in quarterback Landry Jones, former Oklahoma quarterback, uh, unfortunately suffered a knee injury a couple of weeks ago and was not ready to go on week one. He uh, supposedly will be ready this week. So if you want to see what Dallas can actually do on offense, you're going to have to tune into their game this week. Uh, Unfortunately, in this game, it was ugly. Ugly throughout the whole way through for Dallas. And I might as well uh, begin with them. I'm going to be very clear. Uh, I'm going to apologize Right now, um, I said Bob Stoops, head coach of the Dallas Renegades, was from Oklahoma, or coached the university, or coached the University of Iowa or Iowa State. I think is what I said. Uh, that was a mistake. Bob Stoops was the former head coach of the University of Oklahoma. Uh, I I deeply apologize for that. Um, that I was sincerely uh, my mistake, but now now that I got that out of, out of the way, uh, I'm still very impressed with the way Bob Stoops and offensive coordinator Hal Mummy uh, designed the offense. Uh, they brought in this air raid offense to Dallas that is designed to get passes out fast and uh, be able to confuse defenses into picking the wrong decision usually trying to get usually trying to force the defense to have to leave one wide receiver open or one uh running back open that the quarterback can uh take all all of his reads and get it to the right guy it's all designed on wearing down the pass defense and being able to rip off a, a big play while pretty much uh, killing the opponents by a thou- by death by a, thou- a thousand paper cuts. That, that's kind of what what they've designed there, and I can see the potential that this offense has when, um, pro- possibly when Landry Jones is reintroduced into the offense. 
But unfortunately, quarterback Steven Nelson, the backup quarterback in Dallas, was just atrocious. Uh, Let me paint you a picture here. Steven Nelson only threw the ball past 15 yards twice in this game. Maybe, Maybe three or four, but I only counted two. He missed both shots by a country mile. It was bad. And all of his other throws were within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage. So when you go look at his stat line, and I, I understand I don't normally like stats, but I feel that stats should be used as evidence for a, for a point, not as not a, a, just a point in the in of themselves, not a discussion point in of themselves, but evidence for a much larger idea. And so that's what I'm trying to say here. When you look at his stat line and he's 30 for 37 on the day, you got to realize all of those throws were throws within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage. So he was pretty much checking it down to the cross, the the shallow crossing route, the the dump off to the running back, the dump off to the tight end, the the rare intermediate throw to a wide receiver in the middle of the field. That's pretty much all Steven Nelson was able to do. And to be fair, uh, he was relatively accurate from short to intermediate areas. But he had absolutely no deep accuracy. His ball placement was off. He would always throw it either a little bit too behind a wide receiver to the point where they had to adjust to it uh, in in a really fast moment. Uh, he he was just unable to process defenses at all. Uh, he was very slow through his reads, and because he was so th- slow through his reads, he had to check it down because those were the only options left to him. It was uh, just not a good night for Dallas. Uh, and I, to be quite honest with you, I have no confidence in Steven Nelson going forward. I hope that Landry Jones can come back in to the Dallas offense and rejuvenate them and galvanize them and energize them to being a great team because I think the pieces are there for Dallas. Their interior defensive line played great for the majority of the game. Uh, they Eventually, they got tired because of uh, St. Louis just running the ball on them so effectively and it being so late in the game, they just got tired of tackling because they were out there all day long because their offense was going three and out or or uh, only lasting two two sets of downs every single drive. It was not fun. Uh, I, believe, I think they even got a couple turno- turnovers as well, and they were just unable to do anything with it, and it, it was simply disappointing. Uh, the, the Dallas defense has potential. But their offense needs quarterback Landry Jones badly. Let's talk about St. Louis, though. St. Louis really surprised, I think, 
the majority of uh, XFL fans going into the day. Quarterback Jordan Ta'amu, a former Ole Miss quarterback, played okay throughout the first three quarters of the game, but in that fourth quarter, he was able to turn it on like I've never seen before. He he He's a mobile quarterback. He When he runs outside of the pocket, he is looking to run. He is not looking to extend the play. But the problem is, he's actually pretty fast. Uh, there was this one run, I think it was the longest play of the day, where Jordan Ta'amu just gets out of the pocket, bolts down it through the middle of the field, kind of goes to the right hash, and he is outrunning the linebackers. He is outrunning a couple of the corners until he is finally caught by one of the safeties, uh, saving a touchdown. It was I was surprised to see how fast he was he was really running. Uh, I probably have to look at it again to see how fast he was actually running, but I know for a fact he outran those he outran all of the linebackers, and he outran one of the corners. I know that for a fact. So Jordan Jordan Ta'amu has some wheels. Uh, keep an eye out on it for him uh, when it comes to um, uh, what, what was I going to say? When it comes to him running the read option, he is going to be fast and he's going to be a threat. And I apologize to Jordan Ta'amu because I came on this show last week and I said I can't believe that St. Louis is really going with this guy. There is absolutely no way he's going to be any sort of relevant. He is going to suck. The 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 St. Louis Battlehawks are going to have the worst quarterback in the league, is what I said. And boy, was I wrong. Um, I still don't think Jordan Ta'amu is a great quarterback. I'll, 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 I will say that. I don't think he's great. Uh you got to remember, he still didn't play that that well throughout the first three quarters of the game. But he's the worst? Absolutely not. And I'm excited to see uh, how he develops from here. Now, uh, let's look at some of the other relevant uh, players from the Battlehawks. Let's talk about Matt Jones running back for the, for the St. Louis Battlehawks. He had 85 yards on the day on 21 carries. And he repeatedly got really nice chunk runs all all night long. Every couple of runs, he would either get stuffed or he was going for 15. And I was very impressed. Uh, I was impressed. I was not expecting Matt Jones to do that well. However, uh, it, I was I was pleasantly surprised. Uh, Matt, keep an eye on Matt Jones uh, for later in the year. This he is responsible for why the running game was working, uh, as well as his offensive line. The running game was just on fire this game for St. Louis. Now I want to talk about linebacker Terrence Garvin, also for the Battlehawks. I was floored. <laughs> um, Terrence Garvin was a guy who uh, played for the Orlando Apollos in the AAF as well as being an undrafted free agent in the NFL. And even in the AAF, I was impressed with Terrence Garvin. He flowed to the ball very nicely. 
He wasn't slow. He was relatively quick to react. He had um, a very textbook tackling form. Pretty much anything that got in his area, Terrence Garvin was going to tackle it. And I was I was impressed. I like Terrence Garvin. And I'm happy to see him back in the XFL. And he had a great day. He had nine combined tackles and a sack. And that final sack was a very impressive sack. He he came in on a, on a linebacker blitz. He was up against a guard. And he just did this beautiful swim move. Uh, just got around that offensive guard like he was like he was an edge rusher. To be honest with you, he just moved him out of the way, just sliced in between him and the center, and got to the quarterback. It, it and he did it all in a flash. Uh, keep an eye on Terrence Garvin. He's going to be one of the standout defensive players in this league. Uh, one last um hmm. Let me think here. Uh, one one more player I want to talk about is actually Mark Marquette King. Uh, and now I know on the broadcast they were pronouncing it Marquette, so I have genuinely no idea on how to pronounce it. I'm just going to pronounce it Marquette. Uh, Marquette King. If you remember this punter, uh, he was a former All Pro punter for the Oakland Raiders. Just what two three years ago, he. He basically played with with them from I believe 2013 to 2018, as I believe uh, the time frame that he played for the Raiders. He was very good. He was a pro bowler. He was an all pro punter. And then at some point, John Gruden just kind of said, "Hey, we're done with you. We're letting you go." And it's very weird uh, how his time ended in Oakland. He also played for the Broncos later that year, but they eventually released him as well which is extremely odd, especially considering that in this game, he almost had two punts inside the one-yard line. One of them was screwed up by by one of his teammates, uh, just trying to get just uh, a little too over-eager to, to get to the ball. But the other one he hit was this beautiful punt inside the one. Uh, normally, I don't, I, I don't think uh, kickers are people. Normally, I just ignore them and pretend that they do not exist. However, in this game, Marquette, you get my award for coolest guy play of the day. Um, It just shows that punters can be useful. And punters are an essential part to any football team. And especially in this game where... The Dallas offense was just absolutely anemic and disappointing. Uh, You really need players like Marquette King who can pin an offense inside their own 10-yard line. Uh, That's about all I have to say uh, in terms of recapping the games uh, of the XFL season. Uh, I'm I'm going to end this segment here, and when we get back... I'm just I'm going to talk about uh, some of the upcoming games for the XFL this weekend. I'm going to tell you who to look out for and then we're going to end the show. Thank you all so much for listening. I will be right back. I'm Colson and I'm Daniel. The seasons have changed and winter's upon us. You can expect cold, wet, windy and rainy weather. 
So don't forget to be prepared by gearing up with cold weather oriented clothing such as sweatshirts, rain jackets, boots, hats, and gloves in order to keep you warm and dry, but most importantly, happy. All right, folks, we are back. Welcome back to the film room here. I am your host, Andrew Pearson, and I just got done recapping all of the XFL games that happened last weekend. Uh, now I want to get into the matchups this weekend. Uh, I, I understand uh, if you guys are a little tired of, of XFL talk and maybe you're not as excited as I am about it. I understand, but uh, this is pretty much where the rest of the content for my show is going to be other than NFL draft analysis for the next month and a half. So y'all are just going to have to deal with it. Uh, but let's get into week two for the XFL. I am so excited. Um Let's go into the first game of the weekend and what should honestly be the primetime game of the entire week. Uh, so, just letting you guys know, the way that all XFL games are, are going to be broadcasted is that there are two game, there are going to be two games on Saturday and two games on Sunday. There are eight total teams, so that's four games a week. And... Uh, they're all going to be going, going to be streamed on either ABC... Fox or ESPN. Um, in, in this specific case, uh, there's one game on on FS1, which uh, all 15 people care about. But ABC and Fox still hold the rights to some of the games. So let's get into it. Uh, he the, the the first game of the week, which is going to be at 2 p.m. Eastern time this Saturday, is what's going to probably be the game of the week. New York at DC. That is the Guardians against the Defenders. Cardale Jones against Matt McGloin. Uh, I'm very excited for this one. Both teams have very good defenses. Uh, last week, New York just sh- almost shut out the Tampa Bay Vipers at only three points, and they have some very quality players on that defense. And the DC Defenders were able to slow the Seattle offense in the second half that was steamrolling them and getting momentum throughout the entire game. They were able to slow them down, get huge turnovers, and be able to get huge punt blocks and special teams. And not only that, D.C. has a great quarterback in Cardale Jones. He is going to be a star in this league. And uh, I don't know if New York can handle Cardale Jones. Because Cardale Jones is not a Quinton Flowers. He is not an Aaron Murray. He is a, a great, not only a pocket-passing quarterback that has decent pocket presence, pocket presence and ability to extend a play with his legs. He is a mobile quarterback who, like I said, can extend a play with his legs, but can also run, run for a huge amount of yards downfield and is surprisingly fast. And Cardinal Jones is just an absolute weapon. Uh, I'm excited to see uh, what DC does. New York, yeah, they've got Matt McGloin, uh, and they have Colby Pearson and Mikhail McKay. Uh, a good a good trio of players there in New York. Uh, I don't know if they're going to be able to un- overcome the D.C. defense. I've got D.C. winning this game. And to be honest, I wouldn't be surprised if they win the entire league this season. Uh, let's go into Tampa Bay at Seattle. Um, Seattle will be playing at home here in the Pacific Northwest in CenturyLink Field. Uh, it is CenturyLink Field, right? But, yeah, they they play in the same 
they play in the same stadium as the Seattle Seahawks, and tickets are only like $25. So why would you not want to go see professional football in the Seahawks stadium for a reduced price? Why would you not want to do that? It is this weekend. It's this Saturday. And Brandon Silvers, quarterback of the Tampa Bay, or a quarterback of the Seattle Dragons, I think is going to have a bounce back day. Uh, him and Austin Prohl, who I, I understand I did not mention before, but he is the son of the great Ricky Prohl, who played in the, in the league for 16 seasons and won, won two Super Bowls, uh, one with the Rams and I think one with uh, something like the Broncos or something like that. But uh, those two are going to be really, really cool together. Uh, I like the connection between um, between Prol and Silvers. Again, like I said before, Silvers was showing a lot of promise, uh, especially in the DC game. Uh, he he got kind of baited on a couple of throws, and he wasn't perfect. But I think he's going to be able to pull through here against Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay, I have absolutely no faith in. Uh, if they're still starting Aaron Murray, I don't know what to tell them. Uh, Tampa Bay is just bad at football, just in general. Poor that poor city of of Tampa. Uh, they they're cursed with two bad teams. And are, are the aren't the Rays still there? I know this is baseball. But aren't the Tampa Bay Rays still a thing? They haven't moved, right? If I'm asking the question, it means they suck. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I have absolutely no faith in Tampa Bay. Um, their running game. I think if they start quitting Flowers, can can maybe make some damage. Uh, I, I'd have a little bit of faith in Tampa Bay if they did so. Unfortunately, I don't. Uh, I have a feeling Aaron Murray is still going to start. And if they start Aaron Murray, uh, I don't know what to tell them. Uh, I've got Seattle winning this one. Let's go into the third game. Uh, Dallas Renegades at Los Angeles Wildcats. Uh, at least I hope they're the Wildcats. Uh, I, I, yeah, they are the Wildcats, aren't they? Yeah. All right, I'm assuming they're the Wildcats. But uh, L.A. versus Dallas. Um, da- this will be Landry Jones' return game. Uh, he will finally be able to introduce himself to this league and try and establish himself as a dominant force. Uh, the Dallas defense had played very well. Uh, throughout the entire St. Louis game, even though uh, it, it ended in disappointment, but Dallas's defense did play very well. Uh, if if this offense for Dallas can work as well as I think it really can, and if Bob Stoops and Hal Mummy are able to get Landry Jones out there throwing a couple deep balls, but also surgically taking taking advantage of those middle routes that are available in the air raid offense, I think Dallas will probably win. L.A., uh, I like their edge rush. I like their defensive line especially. Uh, Again, like I said before, Sean Oakman is a name to watch out for. He is the big man out of Baylor. Uh, He is number 77 if you're looking for him. Uh, He is huge. He's 6'9", 280 or something like that. He is absolutely a unit. He is massive. And he he still has some of that talent that he was originally projected to have and was is kind of 
the same guy who was originally projected to be the first overall pick back in 2015 or 2016. He he really does have that potential. Um, I don't think it's all there. I'm. I, I, let me let me rewalk that. Let me clarify. I don't think he's still uh, first overall NFL pick level, but I think he he is going to be one of the best defensive players in the XFL. I think he is already. He's a great pass rusher. Uh, I don't know if that's going to get to Dallas, however, mostly due to how their offense is built, and it's all and it's all built off quick hitting passes and um, get it scheming open uh, deep shots. It 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 doesn't lend well to an edge rusher who uh, has to take time to actually get to the quarterback, uh, but and which is pretty much why I don't think L.A. is going to win this one. Uh, despite their defense actually showing promise, their offense is in an absolute tailspin. Uh, Chad Kanoff, uh, the guy who started last week's game, was just below average. Uh, not not what you'd expect. A little disappointing. Uh, he, he, again, was a little inaccurate. Uh, didn't show great anticipation. Not not very good in progressing through his reads. And, again, I'm sorry. I forget his whoever came in for him, whoever subbed in for him uh, late in the game last week for L.A. It was a black quarterback. Uh, it was a black dude. Uh, I, I'm forgetting his name right now, and it, I feel really bad for forgetting. But he is um, he was not good either. Uh, he was actually even worse. He he didn't even run. Uh, he didn't even wasn't even that mobile. Uh, he didn't even have that on his side, and he didn't have a wonderful arm. He was really bad in terms of accuracy. Uh, it was just terrible on offense in terms of quarterback. The rest of the offense, though, for LA was not bad. It w- it w- it had potential. Uh, there was there was one wide receiver, I think it was number thirteen, that I that I liked for LA, but. For the most part, I don't think L.A. wins this one. I got Dallas winning. And St. Louis at Houston, the final game of the week, and the week I'm pers- er, and the the game uh, I'm honestly kind of excited for, but not really. I just want to see P.J. Walker absolutely tear up St. Louis. That that's all I want. P.J. Walker is was the story of the week last week. He came out of nowhere and put up. Over 300 yards passing with four touchdowns. Only mistake of the day was a bad interception in the fourth quarter when they were already up by 20. Houston may Houston may have the best quarterback in the league, and that that's saying something because DC is looking like they're having the best quarterback in the league, and Cardell Jones was very very good, but PJ Walker was just way better. And I want to see if P.J. Walker can continue this streak of dominance or if it was all just first-game jitters um, from L.A. last week. I also want to see if Coney Ealy, defense, uh, de- edge rusher for Houston, can continue his, uh, his intimidating play off the edge for Houston. Uh, he's, he's a, he is number 94 for Houston. He is the guy to look out for. Uh, I'm excited to see him play. And 
I think Houston wins this one. By the way, uh, let's talk about St. Louis in this matchup. I don't think they're. I don't think they have the offense to keep up with Houston. Uh, if Houston is going to have this high flying offense with PJ Walker, I don't think St. Louis is built to deal with that. I do not think they are built to recover from a deficit, mostly due to. Um, uh, I was just talking about him. The Ole Miss quarterback, Jordan Ta'amu. <laughs> sorry, sorry, y'all. But Jordan Ta'amu, I do not think, is built to come back from behind. He is a running quarterback. He um, does not look to run, or he looks to run when the play breaks down. And while I think he's effective at it, he's effective at running the read option, and while the run game is really good for St. Louis, the running game is doesn't help you get get back into a game when you're already down by 15. What gets you back into a game is effective passing and getting yourself down the field fast as fast as you possibly can. Unfortunately, I don't think that Jordan Ta'amu is built to do that. I don't think he can carry an entire offense on his back for a couple of for a couple of drives. I don't think he can do that. I think St. Louis is going to have to rely on a ball control running option offense. And I don't think that that scheme is going to be, is going to be able to keep up with Houston. I I just heavily doubt it. Uh, I'll be rooting I'll be rooting for a couple of guys on St. Louis. Uh, I'm really rooting for Terrence Garvin. Uh, because I really like Terrence Garvin, uh, their linebacker, by the way. Uh, I think he, I think he's really cool and a really nice story. But other than that, uh, I don't think St. Louis is going to win this one. I got Houston winning. So let's recap that. I've got D.C. at New York. Got D.C. winning. Tampa Bay at Seattle. I got Seattle winning. Dallas at Los Angeles. I got Dallas winning. And St. Louis at Houston. I have Houston winning. All right, folks, uh, that will conclude our show. Uh, my throat is absolutely killing me. Uh, it's been, I hope, I hope this, um, I hope this episode is a bit more of a return to form, um, considering the past couple of weeks, I feel like I haven't, um, had the same energy that I've had in, in shows past. So, uh, I feel that this this show was a little more structured like it was intended to be structured. Uh, for those who don't know, for those those who just jumped in, uh, I typically analyze um, a certain player or draft prospect in the first 30 minutes of the show, more or less, and then recap the, recap the NFL week throughout the rest of the show and give my predictions and thoughts on what's going on. Because it's the NFL offseason, I'm doing draft prospects in the first... Uh, third of the show, more or less, in the last two-thirds, I'm going to be dedicating to the XFL from now on uh, until we get to draft season and until we're done with um, with XFL. Once we get into NFL free agency, I will be, talk- I will be dedicating a lot of time to that as well. And uh, that will eat more into this XFL time. If y'all don't care about the XFL... I understand it, it is a it is a lower quality football product. However, I think this is pretty much the second highest quality football product that has been put out there in years. Uh, I'm very excited uh, about this league, and I hope my enthusiasm for it has been able to 
get get all of you listeners out there to watch the XFL again. All of the games this week are going to be on Saturdays, on Saturday and Sunday. Uh, Saturday for uh, the first game is at at 2 p.m. Eastern. Second game is at uh, 5 p.m. Eastern, and on Sunday, uh, first game will be at 3 p.m. Eastern, and uh, last game of the week will be at 6 p.m. Eastern time. Um, I really hope uh, my my more enthusiastic attitude will get you guys into the XFL as much as I am into it. Um, and uh, that's pretty much all I have to say. I already recapped everything that and my plans for the show f- going forward. Uh, thank y'all so much for listening. Again, if you can give this this show a listen on Spotify or um, Transistor or wherever the heck uh, this this show is going to be posted, I, I I don't have it on SoundCloud anymore. Uh, it's pretty much all on Spotify for your um, for your listening convenience. Uh, I hope. I hope you guys can give it a listen. Uh, share it with your friends. Whatever, do what you want. Uh, I just gotta say, if you're listening to this and you and you um, really liked what you heard, please share it. And uh, it, I would really appreciate it. I honestly, I'm happy if anybody stuck through any of this with me. So, honest, honest to God, thank y'all so much for listening. If you did enjoy, um, again. Uh, I've, I've already said this too many times. Thank you all so much for listening. I will see you guys next week. I love each and every one of you. Have a great day, folks.